Welcome to Shit, I Just Quit My Job. I'm your host, Maricela Herrera. The year is coming to an end, people. Oh my God, it's so crazy that 2023 has flown by. Um, as I record this, I'm basically getting ready because next week I will be going home to El Salvador, which is very exciting. Get to see my family. Uh, escape the New York City cold for a few weeks and then come back and hopefully coming back in 2024 I will start getting my shit together <laughs> and do a little bit more than just ruminating about what my life is like and what my life should be like. This is an interesting segue, actually, for today's episode, because today you'll hear from Sandra Eisman. She's a licensed psychotherapist. She actually spent 30-year career in IT. So that's a big change and a big, honestly, just a big process, because not only did she have to decide to leave her job, she also had to go back to school for three years to get her degree so that she can actually become a psychotherapist and do the work that she had always wanted to do that she was passionate about doing. So there was a lot in this conversation, not just about career decisions, but a lot about understanding who you are, understanding what you need, what you like, what lights your fire, but also understanding what you don't need. We talk about unmasking. We talk about self-reflection. We talk about not just the pain in, in growth, but how to then integrate long periods of growth. So, God, it was a very good conversation. It honestly was an extremely helpful conversation for me because I started to realize I was doing a lot of things that deep down I knew I was doing, that deep down I knew I was spinning. Uh, but talking it with someone else was also very helpful. I really hope you enjoy my conversation with Sandra. What would you say are things you you are passionate about? Let's start with uh, that question. I love, I love travel. I love, I, I'm a collector of experiences and that's my high. So how about you we go into a little bit of what you're doing now. How about that? We start with what you're doing now, and then we'll work into how you got to that. So I am currently working as a psychotherapist. I specialize in a neurodivergent population, uh, which is a great place to be, and I'm loving it. I finished my master's in May, and I've been working since then. Congratulations. I love it. What were you doing before being going into your master's? I spent over 30 years as a consultant in IT. So that's a big difference. <laughs> I like I'm now working with more complex systems. Oh, God, for sure. Probably the most complex system, if you think about it. Yeah. You know? So in a change this big, like something has to be driving that right um, because you not only change like oh look I'm gonna go you know I was in IT and I'm gonna go now do like something related you have to go and do masters for 
the thing that you're doing yeah. now. What drove you to make that decision? The funny thing is the hard part of it wasn't leaving my IT work to go to the um, psychotherapy. The hard part was not doing it all years before. Because I've, I've known this is what I enjoy and this is what I'd be good at, but I stayed with the work I was doing because that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to build a career and and this is what I'm able to do. This is what I'm trained for. I, I also have a, a degree in engineering and an MBA, so I've been collecting degrees along the way. Um, and this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be responsible and stay in the job. And But I've always loved learning. I've always loved connecting with people. But I figured I'm supposed to be good and stay and build, so I, I didn't do this. Then I hit a point where I was really starting to tune into how much it was costing me to to try and make it fit. It became harder and harder to do. And then my breaking point was realizing this is crazy. Why am I why am I allowing myself to be in the situation just to do what I'm supposed to do and fit in and fit this make this job work? So when I decided to stop doing that, then the decision to move into psychotherapy was obvious. It was that was made years ago. Just the decision to leave technology um, was all I needed to do. Why did you pick IT? Like, why did you pick technology? Well, technology is is fun, and I was good at it, and it was easy. It was available. It was what I had at hand. My my career was not an obvious progression. I just kept doing whatever came along, and that's what came along. Interesting. Because it's, you know, 30 years is a long time. Like, it's a long time. You know, like you said, the decision was made that if you left this technology work, it would be psychotherapy. What was it that always lighted a fire inside of you for this? I love people. I love connecting with people. I love understanding people. And it's just something I've always been able to do. It's something, you know, I was always the one my friends would come to for for help figuring out their lives. And and it's what gave me joy. So I, I knew that's where I would find happiness. Um, and it's funny, you mentioned... Um, I approached my IT career with planning, mm. and I never did. No? Okay. Yes, I got degrees. And when I came out of school, I knew I liked calculus and physics. Those were the subjects that worked for me, so I went into engineering. There was no plan. It was just this is what I was enjoying at the time, so I went with it. It was, it was never the career that was moving me forward. It was always whatever was the next experience. So one of my first engineering jobs was in Vienna. So it let me travel. And for me, that was the draw. I got to go to Vienna and, and, and do it there. So whenever I needed a push forward in my career, there was always something else taking me there. Um, I got to live in Hong Kong. I got to um, live in Osaka. These were the draws that were taking me forward. And the career was something that happened 
alongside that. Okay. It seems as as your career kept being interesting, not necessarily in career way, but like in whatever else was there, either learning or exploring a new country or city or you would continue to be there and just go. It doesn't seem like you were unhappy or anything. I loved what I did. I enjoyed my work. I wouldn't have stuck with it for 30 years if I wasn't enjoying it. So what happened? I was enjoying the work I did because I was able to build up. I, I was able to keep my interest in, in the other ways. I, I was never motivated by achievement or by career level or anything like that. I was always motivated by the experience. And then I got married and I had a child and now I'm, I have to do the responsible thing and, and work in my career and make that progress. So um, I stopped jumping around quite as much and I started staying in companies a little longer I was always a consultant, so I never had to commit to an actual job. Okay. So I was now staying in the same place, and there was less novelty. So I started getting a little bored. <laughs> and I noticed over time that I thrived in my job when I was happy for other reasons. Like, I, I was best in my job when I had something else exciting me, like a, like the being in another country or learning a new industry uh, or, or something, something that gave me interest would let me do a good job. And as soon as I started stagnating a little bit, I became less good at what I did. Mm. That cashes up. I mean, you, you start to feel the cost of that. And eventually the cost got too great. What do you mean by that? I started getting more and more stress. Okay. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I, so I, I figured out along the way, in fact, kind of recently, that I have ADHD. And this has been very relevant to understanding, you know, my, my, my career path and also what it is that, that works for me and what doesn't work for me and what I enjoy understanding what motivates me and, and, and what stresses me has been a, an important part of my learning and growth and figuring all of this out. How did you start kind of finding that? Was it mostly paying attention or was it something different? Many people with ADHD know from the very beginning that they just feel different. And, and I knew I felt different than others. And I figured out in my 30s that I had dyslexia. And that was enlightening, but it never felt like it answered the full, um, the, the full picture. I still felt a mismatch between myself and, and the world in which I was trying to function in. I, I started suspecting I have ADHD. I, I knew it was very present in my family. Mm. And I started seeing it in myself. And the more I tuned into that, the more I started to realize that this is what's showing up and that it's okay and that I don't want to be fighting it. Was finding out or getting diagnosed, I guess, is the, that with ADHD, was that something that pushed you to say, I'm going to make a change in what I'm doing or was it unrelated? 
it certainly wasn't unrelated. It helped to explain to me who I was. And I started to realize that a lot of the stress I was feeling at work was the friction of me trying to be something I'm not, mm. me trying to fit into a world where I didn't fit. It was just a different shape than I was. And the times when I was happiest, the times when I was the most productive, was when um, the people around me, my managers and, and the, the people who, who dictated the environment in which I was working, would give me the space to just do things the way I needed to do it. And then I could, I was happy. But when I was with people who, and, and you find this a lot in business, this is the way our office operates. These are the, the rules you have to follow. And when I was trying to force myself to fit into these rules, well, I was unhappy and I was less effective and I was just going to be pissing off the people I worked for. I always wonder about that. Um, the way I like to think about culture or the way I used to think about culture with when I used to work was... It shouldn't just be about culture fit. It should be about culture add. So, like, what can this person bring that's going to be helping the full culture be better and not just fitting into a mold? But it's very, I don't think that a lot of companies view it that way, unfortunately. That's a very new concept. The understanding that neurodiversity is as important to functioning as any other diversity mm -hmm. and that it gives the people space to be who they are they'll actually enhance everything so you are getting bored <laughs> working for this company where you feel like you're not necessarily fitting in what happens because you it's interesting you said you know the what's next was easy for a lot of us the what's next is hard the part that kind of feels like you had a little bit more to work through was the making the decision that you were going to go to the what's next. So how did you right. do that? How did you kind of wrestle with yourself? Well, as I started to understand what ADHD is and how I show up, I, I started to tune into um, how I was masking at work, meaning how I was holding myself back or changing the way I was in order to fit in. And realizing the masking was the hard part. And that's something really common that people with ADHD, with, with neurodivergent conditions do. And I think not just people with neurodivergent conditions. I think a lot of people mask to try and fit in. It served nobody. It certainly wasn't serving me. So for me, the decision to leave the work I was in was the decision to stop masking. Can you give me an example of like, what you like what you mean by masking i know with that when i have a deliverable to do i will get the, the work done i i've proven that to myself and i know it gets done but it gets done in my messy disorganized time-blind adhd way when somebody asks for regular updates or correspondence progress on what i'm doing i would hide mm. i would I would do just enough to show that I've got work going on. I would do the work that I needed to do to be able to demonstrate that I'm doing the work and not that it was actually making progress on my deliverable. Because I know I'm going to do it at the last minute, but it'll get done. Before understanding that that was 
part of your ADHD. Did you ever like hear a lot of, and I, I say it with myself too, that I can be very much a procrastinator or that, you know, all of these negative labels that might not necessarily be the thing. <laughs> Did you have to deal with that? Absolutely. That was my whole life is what, what the hell is wrong with me that I can't just get this thing done. And none of that worry gets the thing done any sooner. It just adds feeling bad about it. Yeah. And the masking would just, I now have the additional burden of trying to, to make it seem like I'm doing stuff I'm, that, you know, in a different way than I'm doing it. So there's, there's a lot of extra effort I'm putting into my day just to manage the feeling bad about all these things that don't make a difference about, that don't move me towards getting something done. But I think understanding that you're masking and understanding that you're making yourself to fit into this mold is very different from deciding to stop. My curiosity is understanding kind of the feelings and the thought process behind that. Like, how do you go from understanding this is what I'm doing or this is what's happening to me to I don't want to do that anymore? A lot of the profile of many people like myself, late diagnosed ADHD, have a history of just feeling different, not wanting to, so you're going to hide it. So you just push yourself harder and you just bury the, bury the mm. pain, bury the hard and just keep doing it. And eventually that catches up. Eventually you can't keep stuffing down all the pain without it without it coming out in other ways and i became stressed in my days and it was painful and i had to tune into that pain and that was the hard part because i was so used to just bearing it and going on pain is is what you're supposed to do pain is part of the job that's that's what i'm meant to do but then I started to tune into it and say, you know what? This pain kind of sucks. I don't want it to happen. And the more I tuned into it, the more I questioned it. And it made me realize I wasn't getting anything for it. It says a lot about our working culture that you said pain is part of the job. Like, the fact that we believe that oof, says so much about work because you're not the only one to believe that. I feel we, we all do. And it's true. Work is never going to, it's not always going to be this joyful thing that you're getting pleasure from. But damn it, it shouldn't be pain most of the time. And I think we take it. You know, it's funny. I say um, people of my generation very much take the approach that work has a certain way and that we need to fit into it and pain is a is an important part of of making that happen when when you're trying to make yourself into something different there's always going to be pain connected with that and the younger generation has a very different attitude their approach is you know what this is who i am the world can shape itself to suit me and 
they don't have the same sort of pain connected with this. But they also don't necessarily get the same things done. I think there's a middle ground. I think the answer is the middle ground of showing up, understanding who you are and how you function, and also understanding that other people will show up differently and have their own way. And you each have an obligation of figuring out how to work together to be the most efficient in a partnership. That's a very good point. I'm probably, I'm, I'm part of that, that lost generation in the middle. So like what some people call elder millennials, other people call like the lost generation because it's between Generation X and millennials. We kind of have it screwed both ends, but it's, but it is true. None of the, neither of the extremes is good. I agree that there has to be somewhere in the middle. Unfortunately, we can't, we can't be the ones that represent that because we we have our own issues. But that's, I think, why it's so powerful for the different perspectives, different generations, too, to be working together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And to make things to listen to what everyone is bringing in and to see how you can best adapt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How hard was it to make the decision to go back to school? Were you studying full-time or were you doing, like, were you working and studying at the same time. I quit my job and studied full-time. So after you make the decision that you can't keep doing that, was that the quitting immediate, like, I can't keep doing that, I'm quitting? Or did you ever think, I can't keep doing this, I'm going to go find similar work somewhere else? I used to uproot my life routinely. Every two years, I would completely uproot my life because that's exciting. So... The ability to quit a job and do something new was always a little treat I gave myself. Yeah. So when I made the decision to quit and go to school, oh, I was overjoyed. See, it's so interesting because to me it was terrifying. Also, because I know when we talked about it, it was during a different time. Because you, was it, it was during COVID, right? It just turned out to be perfect. I, I quit the very end of 2019 um, and then enrolled in an online master's that was going to begin April 2020, which was perfect. Yeah, I couldn't have planned that better. I know, because it was also online. So your plan was, though, still to like take the three years fully off to go to school? Yes. In that sense, and I can't underestimate or understate how appreciative I am that my husband is here to support me through it and didn't question I wasn't going to be earning for three years and that I would be doing this. I, I couldn't have done it without his support. Were you scared of anything, either as you were studying or when you decided to go? Like, I can think of 10 things I would be scared of. I'm dyslexic and ADHD, and I'm going to have to do writing every day with papers due every two weeks. And that was, I, I didn't know if I could manage that. That was stressful. But it was my chance to figure it out. It was my chance to learn how to do it. So I, I took a scientific approach to it. <laughs> I'm going to learn to recognize how my ADHD shows up in me, how the dyslexia shows up in me. I'm going to 
see if I can use this as as a really bounded opportunity to see how I show up and how I can work my way through it. And I was able to do it. It's interesting that that was your fear, considering you already had two, two advanced degrees. So you had done this before. Yes. Didn't you think about that? I used to be physically ill every time I wrote an exam in university. Oh, okay. It was stressful because of all the... Not that I didn't know the work. I always knew the work. I was always able to handle the material. It was just getting the deliverables done. So you're approaching it with a different understanding this time around. Yeah. I, I know the, the essays are part of the experience, and I know the process of learning to, to do them is going to be painful. But I also could find my my um, my novelty in it. I, I I chose each topic specifically to be something I wanted to learn, so that I would have my engagement in it. And through this, I learned to to recognize that I don't need to change what I'm doing to find excitement. I can find excitement in the task I have in front of me. If I can find my other ways to interest me and motivate me to get it done. So when you decided to go into psychotherapy, were you always thinking you would start your practice? Like that was that was it. I'm going to become a licensed psychotherapist and I'm going to do, like I'm going to have my clients and this is what I'm going to do. I had ideas of things that I found interesting. And, you know, I, I, I saw my experience in the workplace and thought maybe I could do something as some sort of advocate to help other people in the workplace figure out their shit so that they can not just put up with whatever they're putting up with, but actually find themselves in their job. So how did you start after you finished school? It ended up being so easy. Hmm. Um, because I wasn't trying to force anything, I was just in a space where I'm observing what's happening and going with the flow, which is what people with ADHD can really excel at. Big picture thinkers, work with what you've got, so I had three years to really focus on myself and how I show up and what I need. And I was losing all of the, the shame and bad feelings around the things that had previously held me back. I'm still just as disorganized. I'm still just as time blind, but I don't have the bad feelings about it now. So I'm able to give myself a little bit of perspective and say, oh, look at that. There's my disorganization showing up again. I know how to deal with that now. Um, and I'm able to better problem solve. So when I graduated, I just kept doing what I was doing. I connected with a really great practice to do my practicum. Um, and it all just fit into place. And I... I found where I fit and I do the parts of the job that I love. And I, I, I do, and I don't do the parts of the job that I don't love. I don't want to be all over social media making TikTok videos. That's not me. Mm -hmm. But I am able to innovate. I'm able to take what I'm doing and build new models. Um, so you'll, you'll see on my website, I've got models of, um, how to unmask at work and, and that sort of thing. 
how did you start getting actual um, patients? So I always wonder, how do you start? Because to me, that's like super scary. Whenever I think about if I want to do something on my own, that's my biggest fear. So if I think about it in, in advance of how am I ever going to get clients, how am I going to do this if I don't know that I'm going to get clients, then I get stressed and it, it becomes overwhelming. But when I think about, I just have to focus on the, 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 the clients I have now, the ones I developed during my practicum. I don't stress about where the clients will come from and the clients show up. And did you know you wanted to focus on the neurodivergent population from the beginning? When I started, I thought I wanted to work with mental health diversity in the workplace. And I, I still kind of do that. But um, the, the working with the neurodivergent population is something that evolved over time as I was writing more papers on the subject and as I'm figuring myself out, that's just where it made the most sense. And as it turns out, it was so much the right choice because I love the people I work with. The neurodivergent population tend to be people who are really curious to figure out about themselves. And that's something I share. So it's something that excites me when I see it in other people. I'm really able to, to tell them, I get your path because I'm on it too. And a lot of people just need to hear that. They need to have the validation that they're not broken. Mm. They're just different than what's happening around them. I've always wondered if everyone feels broken. Hmm. Thought that came to mind. But I've always wondered that. <laughs> for everyone to feel broken, for everyone to feel like they're different than everyone else. And, and quite honestly, we're suspicious of the ones who don't feel yes, broken. Yes, true. <laughs> Which is so messed up in all the ways. I love like understanding more of how humans work. We're so weird. As I said, I love figuring out people. Me too. Me too. Which is why I do this. <laughs> this is my way of figuring out people. What would you go back and tell yourself when you were working in masking, when you finally decided and quit, and while you were on the journey to finish your degree? I would go back to those moments when I was really, really stressed and doubting myself and saying to myself, what the hell is wrong with me that I can't do these simple things? And I would just go give me a big hug mm. and say, I see you, you're not broken. I love that so much. Mm. A lot of us should do that. What advice would you give to someone who feels like they don't fit in? So I have a 14-year-old daughter who also has ADHD. And she came to me the other day and said, other people in my class, they know what they want to do. They know what, what career they want. I have no idea. Um, so I was trying to tell her that that's okay. First of all, not everyone does. And some of the most interesting careers happen because someone was just following a path. But I also tried to, to, to help her out from, from my past to say, you may never know where your passion is, 
and that's okay. And the important thing is to figure out who you are and what it is you need. Then you'll, at least you'll be happy with what you're doing. And then you'll probably excel more. So if she's never going to decide, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a lawyer or whatever it is, maybe she'll just decide what skill sets she enjoys using. Maybe she'll just decide she's an excellent writer or she's, she enjoys problem solving. The things that excites her. These are the things she should focus on. And how does she do that? And how is she able to make the best use of what she brings to the table in every situation? I actually really appreciate that you said you might never find your passion. Because hmm. a lot of people tell me I need to find my passion. And I'm like, I have no fucking what my passion I never knew what to make of that either. And the other question I was going to ask is, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to figure out what they, what's next for them? Which I guess is similar. Do you have anything to add to that? I have some friends who are very passionate about their work and very focused on what it is they want to do and, and where that passion comes from. And I always felt that I was a little lesser because I didn't have that same passion and focus towards something. And I've come to understand I'm just different. And I find my interest and my gratification and all the things I want from the work that I do in different ways. And that's okay. Actually, this has been really helpful for me. So thank I'm glad. <laughs> Anything that surprised you of yourself when you finally decided to be like this, I'm going to just show myself? I didn't expect it would be this easy. Oh, interesting. I, it, it just, it all fit and it comes together. So, um, I, you know how I told you I needed to uproot my life every mm -hmm. two years? I no longer feel I need to do that. I don't feel like that's part of my plan. Like I need to change what I'm doing in order to keep myself interested. Now that I'm able to tune in to how I need to function, I'm finding everything I need in front of me to keep me interested and moving forward. Like, for example? Like, you could say it's boring to just sit with clients day in and day out, mm -hmm. but I, if I, I, I take clients as long as, it, as I'm enjoying it, and I find other aspects of the work that I'm doing. I, 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 I build models, and I, um, I innovate on ways to explain what it is that I'm doing in order to, to best serve my clients. So I find ways to incorporate the things that work for me, that motivate me, like um, novelty and... and um, challenge and all of the things that I know work for me. I find ways to incorporate it into my day-to-day. -day. So it's not like I'm doing my job and then having the interesting parts alongside it. The interesting parts are in the job. Do you think you could have felt that way with your other work? Honestly, I think I could have. Hmm. I'm, I'm not sorry that I left, hmm. but I, I recognize when I was at the point of leaving, I really had I saw it as two options. I could either put up with it 
or I could leave. But I think there is a third option. I could have learned how to be my own advocate, to learn how to explain to the people that I'm working with, this is what I need. And this is how our best work. And, and I, I think we can negotiate what the end result will look like and how this will all function. And it'll be a two-way uh, negotiation, but it'll be different than what it is you're asking for. And that if I can make that work, I could have stayed with the technology. But what if you felt, would you have felt like something else was missing? Oh, absolutely. I would have always thought, I've always loved the idea of, of working with people. Yeah, I think that you would always wonder what if. Yes. But it is good to know, it, it is good to point out that there is a third option, right? Like there always is a third option in these type of situations. You can stay, you can leave, or you can try and change the the how would you have approached that like how would you have had that conversation i would have had to find the strength to accept who i am and what i need and it first takes understanding that who i am and what i need um but had i done that while still in that job i i could have just um asked for it i mean i would have just taken my manager aside and said, this is who I am. This is, this is who you get. And here's how you can get great work out of me. Isn't that exciting? It's a very good way of framing it. How did you find out what you wanted and what you needed? Because you did say, you know, you were in three years of basic like in introspective mode throughout what you were like studying, but was there anything that was really helpful for you within that introspection? Like, it's the process of introspection. It's the process of regularly checking in to see who you are and how you show up. Because people, many people, come out of their childhood not able to tap into their own needs or how to get their needs met. And that's particularly true. People who grow up with a different nervous system than what is functioning around them. So... It was just really the act of learning how to observe myself and see and and being able to be self-aware and to be able to check in to see, does this serve me? I think self-awareness is important, but I also think that we say a lot of times just have to be self-aware. But what does that even mean? Like... I think what you said, you know, reflection, kind of really that process, it's really hard. Yeah. And self-awareness self alone doesn't get you there without the added step of saying, does this serve me? Because it, it's, it's really easy to navel gaze, to um, think back on everything that's happened. And, and even, you know, once you start learning to check in, which is an, an excellent skill. It's still only observing what is or what has been, but you want to be able to make it useful to what's to come. You want to be forward thinking. So when you ask the question, does this serve me? It opens the door to, well, if it doesn't, what does? When you were going through the process of unmasking, I'm it's not something you can go like, oh, I'm this is me now. <laughs> you know? 
like how did you actually know what to show to go like through a process of this is starting with one thing then another or 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 was it just liberating and you were like yep that's it <laughs> well part of the benefit of quitting your job and doing something new is you get to suddenly be different yeah true. and <laughs> i left a world of technology to a world of people trying to understand people so it was a lot easier that way yeah speaking of masking do you ever think of it and because it has a usefulness right like it there's a purpose in it when we when we put a mask on it's protection right and we need protection because otherwise we're 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 vulnerable to pain that that's why we mask and removing the mask is then admitting I'm now vulnerable to pain. So it happens slowly. You have to just peel off the corner first and realize, yeah, maybe it hurts, maybe it's risky, but look at all I get. And the really important part of it is to feel the success, is to really look for the success. Because we have a negativity bias that says, I'm going to feel all the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. because that's how our brains are designed. Mm. The negativity bias is meant to protect us. It's meant to, to so that we're, we're risk averse, so that we don't get ourselves into dangerous situations. But if you make a point of looking for the benefit, and it, sometimes it takes intention, and you really give yourself a chance to experience the successes you have, you're now building new pathways in, in your brain to that will open up the opportunity for you to experience more positive and more growth and, and more unmasking. So like the successes you have from showing a little bit more vulnerability? Yeah, you show a little bit. You, you, you give yourself a little bit of permission to be your authentic self in just this little way. And you see that, you know what, it's okay. I, I could do that. And, and I didn't have all that, that, that energy spent trying to mask and, and it was actually not a problem. I could do this. And you realize you now have that energy that you're not spending masking to put into other things, to put into moving forward. The more most of our, um, decisions in life. Most of our operation happens automatically. You'd be surprised how little of our cognitive brain we put towards our daily decision making. It's most of it happens in, in our, our, our limbic brain, the part of our brain that where emotions and memories come from. So and that is entirely dependent on what's happened before, on what it's learned from past experience. So if we lay down new memories and new experiences in a different direction, our limbic brain now has more to draw from. Hmm. So even if you're doing it, even if you're putting on the confidence, your brain is still learning that form of confidence. And it now has that to draw from. Interesting. That's why people say fake it till you make it. Yep. Very interesting. How are you different? Like from this the, the IT Sandra to the 
now, Sandra? Like, how do you, what do you feel is like the biggest difference with, within you? I, oh God, I feel so different. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I won't say, well, I will say I, I am less stressed, but more so. Stress still happens. Mm-hmm. Things still happen in life. But they're less big and less long. And that's a joy. Do you think that's because of the change in environment? Or... Because I think the stress might also be a little bit from this change in environment. So I no longer have deliverables as a psychotherapist. And that is by design. I've now chosen a profession where I don't have deliverables Mm -hmm. because the deliverables kill me. And when I do have deliverables, I can manage them better because I'm not as in a state of constant stress. It goes back to what you said to your daughter about your skills and understanding that and what you want to do, right? A lot of people ask me, because everyone asks me what I'm going to do. It's like the number one question I get. It's like, so what's next for you? I'm like, I don't know. No pressure or anything. God, yeah. And then I get the, well, what skills would you want to use? And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know. And I think what you said right now about like the deliverables, you also kind of went in what you don't want. Yeah. Which I think is just as important as you, what you do want, if not more yeah. sometimes. But. So I, I think you figure out what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy by momentum. You're doing things. And do I like doing this? Do I not like doing this? Do I wish I was not doing this? Do I wish I was doing something else? Or or should I be doing more of this? So to just ask someone, what do you like? I don't know. But if you catch someone while they're doing something saying, do you like this? Then they can say, yeah, I do. Or, yeah, I wish it was different in this way. And that helps shape where you're going. Do you find similarities on what on things you were doing that you liked and things that you're doing now that you like? Like, is there like a relationship with some of the things? Because it's so different, right? Like it's, you're working with, you are working with systems, but very different. So like, are there anything that you can point to and be like, oh, look, that's kind of similar. Part of my big picture thinking, again, an ADHD thing, able to draw from all areas and bring them together some of the models that I'm building are based on fluid dynamics, going back to my engineering past or, or um, the, the learnings I have from technology, the, the, the deliverables and, and, and how to function um, in, a, in a systematic way to get something done. Yeah, I'm, I'm drawing from my past all over the place in, in the work that I'm doing now and adapting because that's what I do. I think that's, we underestimate, I don't call it baggage, but like all the things that we're coming with from just past experiences, both good and bad. Yeah, the good and bad as well. Yeah. And I've got a lot of baggage that I've carried with me through the years of all the, oh, it, it's mostly all the, the, the useless stress that I went through. But you can leave that behind. Do you think you could have done something different 
to not be as stressed? It took the whole process of understanding that I was stressed and why I was stressed. So it, it, it took the whole growth process to really make sense of it. I don't think there was anything I could have instantly done in the moment. But when I reflect back, I can understand that the ones who didn't place additional burden on me to meet their um, their needs, that it was better for everyone. So I guess in the short term, I could have just removed myself from situations that were particularly toxic. How did you get diagnosed, if you mind me asking? Um, in, in the early days of uh, my studies, I really started to accept and actually say out loud, I think I have ADHD. My first course, first assignment, I did an assignment on ADHD. <laughs> we had to do a presentation, and that's the one I picked. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I do think we always kind of know something, but there's a lot of times where, where you have to see it externally somehow like to actually yeah. understand or assimilate. Well, very often we see behaviors in ourselves that have always been there. It's just suddenly you tune into it. And that's where the real growth is because you're doing something that's always been there, but now you can see it and now you can see it in a different way. With And that's the first stage to making change. The growth is so hard. See, here's... Here's similar to like when we were talking about the the pain is part of the job. When you think about growth, immediately my brain goes to, but growth is pain. It's this relationship that I don't know why I have it ingrained in my mind, but it it feels like it. Growth is so hard. Yeah, it's painful. It's 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 instability by its very nature. I mean, it, it is definitely going through a period where you are off your balance. And as I said, I went through three years of introspection in my program. I had to remind myself to stop, to stop growing enough already. You need a period of stability to integrate. You need a period of, of balancing to just catch your breath. It, it can't... It can be just as stressful to be in a state of constant growth. And I had to tune in to that too, the times when I was just too stressed because I'm changing too much. Oh my God, I feel that a lot. I, I... Give yourself permission to breathe. Yeah. And to have and to find your laugh again. So... How did you make yourself stop? I said to the people around me, I just need to laugh. I need you to be with me and laugh. Do you think that, that there's growth in that too? Yes. Yes. That's being able to understand your needs. And being able to communicate them. Yeah, I feel like I'm in this in this period of growth and I and I hadn't thought of it like that because I feel like I'm not doing I'm doing but I feel like I'm not 
doing, like not producing, you know, like I can't, I'm so used to, we're all so used to and so conditioned to think of value in terms of monetary value. So I'm not making any money. I'm doing all these things, but I'm not making any money. Mm. So it's, I'm not working, but I'm working. (laughs) And all of these I have gotten to the point where I'm like, I just want to have fun. And I have kind of made that a little bit of a priority. But I also think that that for me has been growth because I wouldn't have done that before to be able to be like, "Mm, just having fun. That's it. Absolutely. And let that be okay. Yeah. There's an understanding in the neurodivergent world of skills regression. Okay. That as you start to unmask, Sometimes you can actually be less good at what you're doing because your reasons for doing it are changing. Like, let's say you are an exceptional cook um, and you cook for your friends and they all love it. And then you start to tune into your own needs and maybe you, you aren't always hitting every meal out of the park because it's less about trying to please the other people at all costs. You know, maybe I had a hard day and and I'm tired or maybe today I just don't feel like cooking. But so you you start to tune into your own needs Mm. and you you don't serve the best meal every time now. And that's okay because that's what you need. I've never heard about that. And I think we we should know more about that, about that like concept because I think... A lot of us are very much pleasers, and yeah. that sounds to me like that. When you have, a, yeah. you're not putting yourself before other people. Yeah, my fear now is I'm just going to be in this constant like loop of I'm just doing this. Like it's been six months, and I'm still kind of trying to figure myself out and I've been trying to like do all these things but when do like how do you get yourself to then act I have a big problem with that (laughs) but it is interesting to me how all of these come like when you grow like this this aspect that you were saying you had to stop your like you had to remind yourself like I've been going through this three years of introspection and all of these things and then remind yourself like okay now I have to give myself room to do this other thing and I think we all have in different ways like mine is I think I feel I think I feel I think I feel I don't do but everyone has a different thing that they have to eventually give yourself room to do or to experience or to whatever and it's just really hard and I think I'm just commenting on that more than anything um Hmm. how hard it is to like stop so right now the psychotherapist is coming out in me (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I know where I would go with that (laughs) (laughs) once once I stop recording (laughs) no but thank you I think the talk about masking God, we do that. Like everybody does that, I know. Without even realizing it, I think. Yeah. And I think we start doing that since we are very young, honestly. 
adapting, 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 adapting. We learn it very young. We learn, um, we understand ourselves. We understand um, who we are, our sense of, of self-worth and how we get our needs met. All of these things are imprinted on us very early and how we need, how vulnerable we're able to be and what we need to do to um, be able to get the stuff we need. That carries forward in all of the relationships for the rest of our lives until we evolve, until we make changes. And that, that does happen. Um, and, but it happens a lot easier if we actually tune into it and do it with intention. Yeah. Thank you, Sandra. I honestly, after talking to you twice, that's all we've talked really, I can't imagine you as an, as an engineer. <laughs> you're very, like, clearly you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's. Yeah, I, I, it, it fits. It really fits. does fit. Yeah, it really fits. And, and I, I don't know, again, stereotypes and, and like things that are ingrained in your brain. Like when you think of an engineering or engineering and like more of those types and finance, I would put in that bucket and like more of these type of things. I'm a finance major. You think, and I never really fit. This is why I stopped years ago. Yeah. But you don't, this quote-unquote soft skills, and I hate that term, but that more emotional EQ is not what you expect. And yes. it might be stereotype for sure, but I think, I don't know, it, like I could, I could imagine you feeling like you needed something else. Even in my my um, technology jobs, I was always the one bringing the team together mm -hmm. and working all groups and yeah. Not to say that that's not a skill necessary. Like I I actually believe that everyone should have like a way to develop EQ because especially if you're going to lead teams. Um, but yeah, I could see you being that person. Thank you. This was really great. This was really enjoyable. Thank you for making it so easy on me. Thank you for listening to Should I Just Quit My Job? I can't thank you enough for spending time with me and my guest every week. If you like the show, please tell your friends about it. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps. Thanks again.